legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset of brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's talk legacy. My name's Gary Michaels. Welcome to Let's Talk Legacy. Today's guest, Emerald Garner, is an author, an activist, and the youngest daughter of Eric Garner. She's the founder and executive director of the nonprofit We Can't Breathe. So let's dig right into this, Emerald. All of our listeners, the whole country and the whole world are already familiar with your father's name, what happened to him, and what happened in the wake of his passing. Rather than rehash that, I'd like to start today by asking, what was he like? What was it like to know him and grow up with him in your life? He was funny. You know, he was the leader um, of the family, definitely the go-getter, very encouraging. You know, I learned a lot about being a good person from him, just being a good person overall. Good person, good heart, giving, and, you know, kind. Right. What is your strongest memory growing up with him? Christmas. The best memories are around Christmas time because, you know, we always used to get a lot of gifts and it was, there was six of us. So we, one year we had this really big, like seven foot real Christmas tree and my mother was so pissed about it, (laughs) (laughs) but we loved it. We used to water the tree. Like it was a house plant. Like it was fun. (laughs) That's great. So prior to your dad's passing, did you ever have any sense of how he wanted others to view him and how he wanted to be seen or be remembered one day? Not really. We don't really talk about death in our family. We don't talk about what what it's going to be like after death. And that's one of the things that, you know, I wish we did talk about, but we we didn't really talk about stuff like that. Why do you say you wish you did? Because it would be great to know now that I've suffered so much loss. Um, You know, as a child, it's a little bit different. But when you're older, it's like you want to have those things where it's just like, oh, well, you know, he always wanted this. So he always wanted that. And you know, we didn't, uh, well, I, I didn't experience that. Hmm. Well, you said there's six of you, right? So my mom had two children and then she married my dad and they have four together. I got it. Are you close with your family now? You know, after such a public tragedy and, you know, it definitely tore our family apart. I can't, you know, sugarcoat that. Definitely test the strength of your family and uh, the strength of our family was definitely tested. You know, you're a leader in an organization, so you have to be strong for others. Okay. But you're a human being. And you want the family to be tight. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that when, when you're down or when you're frustrated? Or how do you cope and, and just keep moving forward? Well, it's, it took me a long time, but I started to realize what I needed to make myself happy or to make myself better, to better to cope with everyday struggles. It wasn't like, oh, I just, oh, I'll just wake up today and I'll just go to counseling. Like, it wasn't just that easy. I had to really make intentional decisions to rebuild myself, to be strong for other people. And they're like, you're the strong one, you're the strong one. But it's like, you know, I can look like the strong one because I can handle business. But what about emotionally? What about mentally? I was not very strong. So I had to really build up that emotional support and lean on my peers, lean on my people, lean on, you know, people that I look up to. And it helped a lot. 
I was watching a speaker the other day and he said that so many of us all day, every day, if we're not conscious of it, we put a mask on to be who we think other people want us to be. Uh But under the mask is the real us and the real heart and core. Did you find yourself putting masks on? I had a mask on for five years. The five years after my father passed away, you know, it was just like, go roll with the punches, you know, go here, get the story, do this, do that. Media, everything was just like back to back. And then that big blow up that I had in front of the courthouse where everybody was just like, that's your activist moment. That's come to your moment. And I'm just like, no, that's a mental breakdown. That's me finally showing that I, I, I just really cannot deal with the pressures of how everything is going on. So I really had to take a step back from the front lines. No protesting, no, no uh, interviews, no articles, nothing. It was just nothing. It was radio silence for me because after, you know, three years after my father died, my sister died. So then I had, I took all her two children. So it was just like, okay, I'm going to let this break me down and kill me like it did her, or am I going to find the strength to figure out how to make this machine work? Wow. Talk to me a little bit about what went through your mind, if you're comfortable, in front of the courthouse. I was super fed up. It was, it was just like, okay, no indictment. And then the decision came out before we even got into the room with the people who were giving us the decision. So the article came out and it hit the media. And of course, you know, you get the Google notification that, oh, okay, the, the government decided not to indict. So when they came in and started saying, oh, how are you doing? My condolences. And it's just like, I don't want your condolences. I want answers. Like, you could tell me you're sorry for my loss a thousand times that still won't bring my father back. I need you to give me the justice that I deserve. Give my family the justice that we deserve, which is an indictment and some type of accountability. And we didn't get that. And it was just like, I'm tired of being cute, cute. And, you know, oh, hi, thank you. Thank you for giving me your condolences. It's just not enough. What I was just like, no, this is just ridiculous. I lost my father, then I lost my sister, and I got to take care of the kids, and I, and I still get no accountability. So where's my peace of mind? That's what I was wondering. So did you make a turn at that moment that I can only affect what I can affect, and I can't affect what everybody else does? Because that's the big message I see so often when we have guests on our show, that people have become successful because they've really started to learn that there's only four things I can control. I control my attitude. I can control my self-talk. I can control what I put on my calendar, which is all the things I do that that are things that I believe are important in life. And then I I honestly can control what I actually do based on what I put on the calendar. We can't control the people. We can't control the weather. We can't control politics. Was that the turning moment for you that you kind of realized I can still be active in an organization and, and do what I believe, but I also have to take care of myself? Yes, um, absolutely. Um, after Immediately after the courthouse situation, you know, all these interviews started coming. Oh, can you come here? Can you come and talk about it? And I was just like, well, I just had this big blow up and, you know, I'm a little embarrassed. I don't, contrary to what everybody else believes, I'm a little embarrassed that I allow my emotions to get uncontrollable and I just blew up. So, no, I will not be doing interviews tonight. I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. We could, we could talk about interviews tomorrow. But today I'm deciding that this is this is not going to work for me. Going to interviews, doing this, doing that, still having to work. I said, no, I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get some rest and I'm going to wake up refreshed and I'm going to go to work so that I can make money to take care of my family. I'm not going to go run into news outlets. I'm not going to go run into interviews, doing shows and stuff like that because I still have a family to take care of at home. And, you know, contrary to what everybody believes, there's seven people in my father's lawsuit. So no, this money did not change my life. I did not get a majority portion other lawsuit and now my life has changed. No. So after that, I was like, you know, I won't do these interviews. And I actually had one interview host say like, oh, they want you, they want to interview. I was like, no, can we schedule it for tomorrow? And they're like, oh, well, they won't want the story tomorrow. 
But I'm just like, well, this is my story every day. So I don't care what they want today because tomorrow I'm still going to be Aragorn's daughter. Next week, I'm still going to be Aragorn's daughter. In 15 years, I'm still going to be Aragorn's daughter. So this is my story forever. For me, it's not a story. This is my life. That's so true. What is it like to have to grieve so publicly? It's horrible. I know. I talk about it a lot in my book. Like, you know, a part of finding my voice was the grieving that I went through and finding my voice was through the mental health issues that I had. And I let people know, like a lot of my anxiety a lot of my depression, um, you know, a lot of my symptoms showed up as anger. So I was walking around angry. I was walking around like a freaking tea kettle and I was ready to explode. And then I actually exploded and nobody took the care and nobody took the time to really just say, like, you really have to take care of yourself. Eventually, as I got to know the people in my life, it started to be that type of leadership. And that's when I was able to get a control and get a handle on things. And, you know, I definitely explained that in my mental health chapter in my book is just like, we really need to focus on our mental health because we really don't take care of it. And then you always the angry person, the angry person, the angry person. I was that angry person. Or other people listen to the show, the anxious person, uh-huh. the sad person, the, the guilty person. Right. The, the guilty, guilty person. person. Like, yeah, it's like everything is, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, you didn't even do anything. Why are you saying sorry? Because they have that trauma of never being forgiven. So it's just like something in there, like they've never been forgiven. So everything that they do, they're sorry for. So it's just like their anxiety, their depression is showing up as these things. So it's just like understanding what struggles you have. And it may not be any struggles, but after a tragedy like this, there are struggles and we need to pay attention to those things. When you look back at it, what was it like to be in the camera eye and be have all this be in public? Are you glad you had that opportunity or would you have wanted to have less public and still stood for what you believe in? How do you feel about that? I'm a strong believer. Everything happens for a reason. I won't lie. I was very upset with God for a long time. Like, why are you doing this to me? Why are you putting me in this position? I don't regret the media publicity that we got because we got a lot of things accomplished after telling our story and sharing with the world, actually fighting for laws to be changed and policies to be changed and for people to, you know, actually put a move on to do things. So um, I don't regret it. The only regret that I have is the, the effect that it had on the family. Because that's the only thing that matters because we have to live after all of this is gone. All the hoopla is gone now. Mm-hmm. The hoopla is gone. Like we're one of the many, but for us, this is going to always be our forever story. Yeah. It's almost like I'm sure a motivation for you to have a, continue the story, but another story too, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, what's next? Yep. It's like, what's next? Because I still have to explain to the kids when they get older and my nephew who never got a chance to experience his mom mm. then my niece who was older and had, you know, in nine years with her mom and, you know, she, she doesn't have her anymore. So, you know, I see the depression, I see the, the, the hurt and the sadness in her and I see like the breakdown. And then, so mm-hmm. like, that's when, you know, you really have to pay attention because it's really affecting them as well. Yeah. It sounds like for you, it's about making a difference. Whether it's yes. just a couple people at a time or your organization. After losing your sister, Erica, you founded and continued to lead We Can Breathe. Yes. It's a nonprofit dedicated to alleviating injustices associated with trauma from excessive use of force by law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about the organization and tell us a little bit about, too, that a lot of law organization is good people. Good people that are doing their job the way they're supposed to. But there's some that don't, just like in every business, right? Right. Absolutely. How does the organization run and how do you balance that tight wire act to say that not everybody's bad? (laughs) I think it's mostly what you do. A lot of the times um, when people have these negative things to say about organizations, it's a lot of the hurt. 
you know, when everything is in the media, when things first happen, you know, all these organizations come for you. Uh, with my organization, I decided to structure it a little bit different to where if you want to work for my organization, you have to really care about people. You have to really want to help people. So we have a hotline that runs from 5 p.m. to 9 a.m. for young people, for any people to just call and just have somebody to check in with. We would prefer a name and an email. But if you just want to leave your name and, you know, just just a number or just be like, oh, I'm number 16, that's it, or whatever. And, you know, just want to check in just to just to check yourself and check the things around you unbiased. Nobody knows your business. Nobody knows your friends. Nobody knows your peers. Nobody's going to talk to anybody about what's discussed, but it's just an extra outlet to have somebody to talk to because that helped me. And then um, we help young people with job development, so writing resumes, doing Indeed accounts, you know, just making sure that they have the tools that they need to keep the job. We, we could get you the job, but you have to be able to keep the job. It's up to you to get up every morning and make the decision to go to work. So you're just explaining to them that that's how you work yourself up. You have to work, you have to work yourself up. And then our last pillar is the Hearts for Justice, which is a mental health pillar where we um, have a support group um, called the Healing Justice Village. We meet every Monday. And right now our members include Tamara Carter, whose son Brandon Rodriguez was um, killed in Rikers Island. Darlene Madej, whose son Dante was killed in a correctional facility in upstate New York. And we also have um, Denise Holland. Her son was killed in a prison in Maryland. So it's, it's like we're, we meet with each other. We talk to each other. The emotional trauma, I've been there. I know, what the, I know what that feels like. And they don't see no light at the end of the tunnel. And neither did I. But I worked towards it. I actively made a decision to be better, to do better. So I'm just encouraging them to do the same. So you're, so you're about really trying to have justice so that people aren't wronged. Mm-hmm. People that go to prison or have things happen to them, of course, they pay their time. But yes, they don't deserve to be treated like animals and left in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day. Right. And then when they're asking for medical attention, nobody's giving them medical attention. That is the saddest part. And then to have these women come on and say, I didn't know anything that was happening to my son until I got a call from the morgue telling me to identify his body. I'm his mother. To have a correctional officer tell her that he's not her property. He is the property of Department of Corrections and you can't see him. It's horrible. Your organization helps the parents and the family that are going through these tough struggles, right, of, of how to cope. And, you know, so it's dual purpose. It sounds like it sounds like your organization has tried to get the government and the statutes and the laws changed to protect people. Yes. And then on the same token, to help the families that have been hurt by this, right? Just be caring, just be empathetic, just give people grace. Like, you know, it's just horrible how people treat people. And I think that we could do a better job. Right. So some of the signature uh, achievements have included getting the Eric Garner Anti-Chokehold Act passed in 2020, which criminalizes the use of chokeholds by law enforcement in the state of New York. You've also worked alongside senators on policing legislation and consult as an expert with UCLA's community programs office. Are you working to push through any new legislation or actions right now? So we are looking to make the Eric Garner Antichoco Bill federal um, so that it could be nationwide. Um, We wanted to get it passed in every state. We're in an election year, so we need to definitely band together to get the people that we want in and get the people that we don't want out but I let people know all the time, like, you know, voting, being a part of your community, being a part of the leadership, that is a part of changing things. So if we have more people that look like us and, and think like us and kill them, it doesn't matter the color of your skin. If you're an empathetic person that cares about people, then you won't stand by and let something 
like this happen over and over again without saying something. Sure. That's what we really want to focus on. That's what our main focus is. It's getting the federal legislation passed and getting um, these policies um, changed. And we don't want all the things that we work hard for to go away. Emerald, are there people or organizations that are against what you're doing? Or has everybody been supportive? Um, if they're against me, I wouldn't know. <laughs> That's interesting because you know how everything in this world, it seems right now, there's there's both sides of the story. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge. It's a struggle. It is. You can put three people together. I was watching an interview the other day. You know, one's a far left and liberal and one was a far right conservative, but they're in the same church. <laughs> and just being able to communicate with each other and respect each other's opinion, because that's our world, right? It's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. You have such a strong voice in, in the movement, yet you're not aware of anybody or any organization that's against you. I like that. That's good. That's, <laughs> that's because you're so focused on what you're trying to accomplish, right? Yeah, I just I, I was I was really focused on a lot of negative before. And it's just like that was the purpose of me writing the book. Like, I know I'm going to have to revisit the chapters and talk about it and talk through it. But I felt like putting all of that into the book closed the chapter. So I'm I'm just really focused on the future. I'm really focused on making my organization work, you know, just really making an impact on people. That's a message there. That's a message there that when you're so focused on what you're trying to accomplish, you don't care or know if anybody's against you. Right. It's like, you're against me. Okay, see you later. <laughs> yeah. So our show's about creating a, and leaving a legacy or continuing the legacy of someone important. What does the word legacy mean to you in general? It means history. It means, you know, having something to look back on. It, it's just something that's, that's something that, that's a staple in history. Um, and I just hope that my staple is big enough to, to be remembered. Um, and I know my dad made a big impact on the world. And I just want to let people know who I am because I'm an extension of him. Right, right. Talk about the gravity for a moment of carrying on a legacy shaped by your father, though perhaps not the one he would have chosen for himself. Mm. I'm a bit emotional. I can't talk about that. I know what you mean. Um, it's just, it's hard. It's hard. It's going to be hard to explain to the kids. And it's hard because when I grew up, I had mom, dad, grandma, grandpa on both sides of my family cousins, you know, you know, everybody knew each other. Everybody was all together. And after my father died, I was like, everybody's just scattered. So it's just, it's just really hard. Um, especially when you talk about memories, about things that happen and stuff like that. It's, it's just, it's just super hard. Yeah, I'm sure it is. How have you worked to create a legacy for yourself personally? How does that differ from the work you've done in your father's memory? I believe that once people get to experience me and all my authenticity, they see that, you know, I, I'm a fighter, I'm dedicated, I'm loyal, um, I'm consistent. I try to be there, you know, as much as possible because I know how much it means for me when people are there for me. So I try to do meaningful things for other people. And um, writing my book is a part of leaving, leaving my legacy so people can really get an insight of who I really am and how I really am. And I wanted the voice to be written in my, I wanted the book to be written in my voice. So I wanted when people read the book so they could just kind of like hear me and see. And one of the great comments or feedback that I got was when I'm reading the book, I feel like I'm watching a movie and I'm like, great. That's exactly what I was going for. Well, that was one of the last questions I wanted to ask you a little bit about your book. It's called Finding My Voice on Grieving My Father, Eric Arner and Pushing for Justice. Tell us about the book and where listeners can find it. 
It's everywhere in all bookstores, um, Barnes and Noble, Target, uh, wherever they sell books. People can look at my website, www.wecanbreathe.net, and we'll be all over with the book. I want people to know, like, my mental health struggles, um, you know, me being under the leadership of Reverend Sharpton, um, you know, actually working with his daughters, Ashley and Dominique, and the impact that their youth group has had on me and the impact that I wanted to have on my kids and stuff like that. So that a lot of a lot of that is what I talk about. And a lot of the healing justice um, work that I'm doing is a part of this book because I'm all about healing, mental health and, you know, peace, tranquility. You know, I just started to rebuild my relationship with God and starting to pray more, um, you know, go to church and Bible study, just rebuilding a connection with the kids and starting to really focus in on what they need um, in order for them to be okay. Because at one point in time, they were not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time. Appreciate what you're doing. Appreciate what you're doing for the kids. You know, you just seem even keel about it all. You've been through a lot but you're still pushing your cause forward for laws and regulations that you believe are right. And also you're helping people that are struggling and grieving, helping them. And we need more people like you, Emerald, in this world. So uh, thank you for what you do and have a wonderful day. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies. Thank you.